Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Boink Radio on the Boink Network Discord server. Today, we don't have Jay Ringo because apparently he's moving, I think. <laughs> I would have loved to hear some boxes shuffling around during the recording, you know? Like, that would have been fun, made it interesting. <laughs> but as for myself, I'm currently recovering from COVID, so if I sound a bit nasally, that's why. Other than that, I didn't have too much of a bad time with uh, COVID in my body. So uh, I've heard some people who had a lot worse. So I'm doing pretty fine. Uh, but anyway, uh, this episode we're going to be chatting about uh, what Boink would be like if we use some big data services or why we don't use the big data services like AWS. Because I know that people have varying opinions. Project admins have varying opinions too, um, and hopefully some people in the chat will have some opinions about it as well. So for those of you in the chat, um, if you can come up with some interesting opinions that you have about using big data services like AWS, like for example, for storing loads of data or running computations um, or just uh, even sending emails to um, participants or something like that, just some of the big services that AWS and those other big companies offer. And uh, probably data storage will be the biggest one for storing project data. But anyway, uh, let's get on to the important topics. I have a new beverage. And everyone here is in luck because I've found this really, really cool vending machine down near Town Hall in the city. And it has so many different, really, really funky drinks. And so every time I go down there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy like one or two new drinks from there. And uh, today with me, I have Mountain Dew, major melon flavor, charged with watermelon. And in very, very faint print, it says flavor with other natural flavors, as it usually does. All right, where is this imported from? Who am I drinking? Uh, bottled under the authority of PepsiCo. Uh, is it made in Australia? Doesn't say. But I can tell you one thing. It contains 0% juice. <laughs> and it says it just straight up. Contains 0% juice. Lovely. Haven't seen that flavor of Mountain California. Interesting. Yeah, so I managed to find it in my city. <laughs> um, the taste of this is pretty good. I've been sipping it since uh, this morning. <sighs> Mainly just to clear my throat. Because uh, I was still getting a bit of a sore throat from the COVID. But... um. It's actually got a very smooth taste. Like, I know I've tasted like, I think, uh, Mandu Code Red or something, or some other interesting flavor, or, or like cherry or something, I can't remember. And it had like the sharpest, like most horrible taste, and it has the worst aftertaste. But this one here is really, really smooth. Um, and I think the first time I sipped on it, 
you could actually feel it like popping in your mouth, which is really nice. So it's like drinking liquid candy. Excuse me. Uh, um, all right, uh, let's get straight into the news. So, happy birthday to um, MC Escher. <laughs> Um, Prime Grid is celebrating MC Escher's birthday with a five-day challenge. Happy 124th birthday to MC Escher. Um, his art, admired by millions of people worldwide, can be seen by many websites on the internet. So if you want to participate in the MC Escher challenge, uh, spin up the SR5 LLR application on Prime Grid. All right, in other news, Boink in retrospect, uh, David Anderson has written a massive, really, really detailed uh, timeline of Boink. So if you want to go and check it out, it's called Boink in retrospect. Uh, it's on the official Boink forums. Uh, yes, the official, official Boink website does have a forum, so go and check it out. And uh, it goes through everything. So from the uh, introduction, origins of Boink, um, the vision, funding, Boink projects, getting it off the ground, software, volunteering, the workshops, UC Berkeley, computer science, citizen science, high-performance computing, companies, the decline of Boink, Science United, Project Management Committee, and analysis and conclusion. So maybe one episode we'll go through and see what he has to say. Okay, small news. <laughs> We're still looking. Wanless found a 12-digit factor 360,000 times. Congratulations on those 360,000 people who found that exact same number. And for those of you that don't know, we're looking for the 13-digit factor, not the 12-digit factor. So we're still getting there. Well, community grid fans, get ready to rejoice. Not just yet. <laughs> um, well, community grid has announced that they have restarted their website and forum only. Okay, don't get too excited. <laughs> I know I was getting excited with this, but no, it's just a website and forum. So, uh, well, community grid is announcing that their new website and forums have been finished and have both been tested so that you can come on and try them out and I guess yell at them for why the hell they've, the rest of the project isn't up and running yet. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, uh, they're reminding you to view the community guidelines. Typical, but yeah, that's pretty much all the, new, all the news from that. Uh, but in relation to open, uh, so World Community Grids, OPN1 has a project update from World Community Grid. I believe this was the project that's working on uh, the COVID virus and other viruses so that we can, yeah, open pandemics. Yeah. God, it's been a while. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So OPN1, Open Pandemics, has an update. They have said that 
while all the computing has been shut off, so while work units have not been sent out and none of the crunchers can crunch well community grid, they have been doing analysis. So in their labs, they have been looking at the process in which that they go through to validate these things and improving that. And they're also looking at other targets that they can look at as well. So uh, they have preparing more data for the crunches to crunch. And also they said that the war in Ukraine has actually interrupted part of their um, laboratory experiments. So uh, they say that they are happy to learn that enamine is reopening their synthesis services after the war in Ukraine interruption. So uh, they're ready to test a whole bunch of new hypotheses. So yeah, uh, for those of you keen on crunching open pandemics, there's a little update for you. Latin squares, rake search. So rake search has found square number 16, which is really, really cool. Um, for those of you that don't know Latin squares, I'm pretty sure we've got a project brief somewhere floating around. This Latin square has, ooh, that's a lot. Um, what is that? That's 575 million orthogonal mates. And it is in 13th place. The rating between the square with 357 million and 780 million. So, um, yeah, maybe if we keep crunching rake search, we might find um, a Latin square that'll beat the rankings. All right, news from SR base. So, um, user KYSU found a mega prime for the R2 base. The prime number is 612,749 times 2 to the power of, whoa, that is a big one, um, 4,254,500, all of that minus 1. That prime number has 1,280,738 digits. I'll say that again. That prime, this mega prime, has 1 million... 280,738 digits, and it is in the top 5,000 in Chris Caldwell's Large Known Prime Database. Um, oh, they found two Mega Primes, did they? Oh, shit. There you go. Congratulations also on Ezel Traber. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, and they are a member of the team Planet 3D Now. They have found a Mega Prime, and the Mega Prime is 519,397 multiplied by 2 to the power of 4,908,893, all of that minus 1. And that is 1,477,730 digits long. And that has also been entered into Chris Coldwell's largest known prime database. 
congratulations on SR base and the users who found those mega primes. Other small news with SR base, they are deprecating all 32-bit apps. Yay! What does that mean for you? Probably nothing. <laughs> what does it mean for computer scientists? We don't have to support 32-bit anymore. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that don't know, uh, most computers nowadays run on 64 bits of, um, of uh, architecture, which means that all CPU operations... Um, excuse me, I'm just coughing. Okay. Yep, yeah, so for those of you that don't know, most computers use 64 bits for processing and storing uh, numbers in their CPU. And a lot of really old computers use 32-bit back in the days of like uh, Windows XP and all that. Um, so thank God that we don't have to support those computers anymore. Now, although that does eliminate some processing power, really at this point it's negligible because CPU, um, CPU computations have reached very, very, very far reaching goals now. So compared to the CPUs back in the 32-bit days, it pretty much wipes them out of the water. So we're not too concerned. Hopefully one day we will never, ever, ever have to program in 32-bit. All right, that concludes the news. Oh, God, don't even talk to me about 128-bit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to survive this if I'm going to keep coughing like this. Uh, I don't think 128-bit is actually a thing yet. <laughs> I mean, there kind of really is no point to it unless we want, like, bigger numbers, just generally. Um, I, I believe the computational power advantage of 128-bit is negligible compared to 64-bit. Because really, it's just bigger numbers. It's not more computation. Otherwise, some could argue, oh, but you can load two 64-bit words into memory. And then I'm like, well, that's just really, really, really annoying. <laughs> like, having to program that is going to be very, very, very annoying. But anyway, we can discuss this at a different time. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the topic that we have today. So, um, what I wanted to talk about is, uh, imagine if a Boink project, for example, um, one with a lot of data, MLC at home. MLC at home has one of their data sets at about like a terabyte or something, like something crazy like that. And uh, with those big data sets, storing them is a problem. And MLC has had their problems with storing it, essentially, because they've had to resort to using torrents in order to serve those, serve those files. Because they have limited storage on their server machine. I mean, I've been on their server machine. They do have limited storage on their server machine. And um, so they need to conserve space and they need to also conserve bandwidth too because they don't want to be uploading that thing on their, on their internet and having that all uh, recorded and everything uh, going against their like usage limits. 
So how can we solve the issue of these projects making loads and loads of data and not being able to store it or distribute it? And one way is to use uh, web services. Okay, <laughs> uh, we got a person in the chat, Phoenix, saying compression algorithms. What if I told you that the data set is one terabyte compressed? <laughs> like that's the that's the problem. The compressed data sets are one terabyte, so they're having problems um, storing it. So enter web services, AWS. Um, I think IBM has some. Um, who else does web services? Um, Microsoft Azure. Stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll give a simple example. So Amazon AWS S3. Okay, S3 is a storage uh, service. So, and it's basically a hashed object service, which means that there's no files, there's no folders, sorry, there's no folders, it's just files, and each file has a name, pretty much, and they all have to be different. Um, and basically, you can just chuck stuff up on there, delete it, change it, modify it, read it, anything. Um, Oh, Vitaly's telling me that I pronounced Azure incorrectly. <laughs> I'm going to continue to say it incorrectly, Vitaly. Okay. Um, so, for example, let's say MLC at home decided to use AWS S3 in order to store, um, I don't know, maybe the uh, results of the of every work unit, for example. So instead of having to store them in maybe an SQL database or a Mongo database, I hate Mongo database, um, they can then store them instead on S3. Now, although the database won't be relational, um, sometimes data from projects doesn't need to be relational. So let's assume that the data from MLC doesn't need to be in a relational database. So it's just completely flat file. You just chuck it on and you grab it when you need it. Okay, so basically what would happen is every single time a user submits a work unit, the results of that work unit will be stored in AWS. And it will be stored on their services. Let me give you an idea of how expensive that would be. Let me just search it up. All right, so we're talking two or three cents per gigabyte, all the way up to 50 terabytes. So two or three cents per gigabyte is really, really cheap. And if you're storing five terabytes, let's calculate how much that is. And it's the morning over here, and I'm not good at maths in the morning, so I'm pulling out a calculator just to be sure, okay? I don't want to look like I'm not calculating stuff correctly. I'm not a proper computer scientist. So five terabytes would cost around $125 per month, which actually is pretty, it's pretty hefty for five terabytes. Um, so it'll cost about $125 a month to store five terabytes of data every month on Amazon S3. 
Now, what are the benefits of having all that data there? Uh, you can just as easily interact with it like it was a file system on the actual server machine. So you can do pretty much everything that the file system does on the server on S3. Um, all the files will be there, and uh, you have very, very good guarantees that they will be there and up and available 99.99999% of the time. Um, and basically, it's scalable storage. So um, you can keep going and going and going and going and going. Yeah. Um, so if you're a very small project with a very small amount of data, this might be economical for you because only using about, I don't know, 100 gigabytes would only be $2 a month, which is pretty decent. Like 100 gigabytes for a, for a small project, like maybe a math project, that would work. But for something big like MLC at home, it starts to get a bit more hefty when you're talking about $125 per month. Um, now, the great thing about um, some of these web services is that you also have stuff like content delivery. So, for example, if MLC at home were to upload their one terabyte um, data set up to the Amazon content delivery network, for example, uh, they wouldn't have to worry about uh, using torrents in order to distribute their files. Now, the content delivery network also has its own costs associated with it. Um, whereas the and basically, it's a centralized services versus a decentralized service. So, um, using the content delivery network, although it is technically very reliable, ninety nine point nine 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 percent uptime. It's still centralized, so some people from other parts of the world might not actually be able to access it. It might be blocked based on their firewall, whereas um, using a torrent, uh, it's free and supported by the Bunt community. There's a lot of people who actually did uh, download this big torrent and are now serving it if you want to download it. So, um, yeah. Uh, I guess from the discussions we've had so far, we know exactly one reason why projects aren't using this is because of the cost. <laughs> it's especially if they have a lot of data. Uh, but for those projects with very small amounts of data, like for example, like about 100 gigabytes, it could actually be reasonable. Yeah, it is a lot more quiet without Jeringo. <laughs> we can actually have a relaxing Boink Radio. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so yeah, that's uh, basically the services that um, project admins and projects can use to store their data. Um, other stuff that might be useful for projects, um, I know that Boink does it already automatically, but I think you may be a, like, I've never started up a Boink project, so I don't know how the Boink email subsystem works, but as far as I can probably guess, It'll probably some sort of it'll probably be some sort of SMTP hookup with a mailer service of some sort. Um, so that can actually work with, like, for example, AWS SES. Reason why I'm saying AWS all the time is because I have the most experience in AWS, so I know how this stuff works. So emails with AWS. Um, they're extremely cheap. And with the amount of emails that Boink projects pump out, which isn't that much, 
probably like none at all. I don't think I've received an email from a Boink project at all. <laughs> so, um, I guess the justification for not using that service is that no emails are actually sent. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sending emails is extremely cheap, like super, super cheap. Yeah, uh, computing and hosting. So uh, one thing that projects that some projects actually use a lot is virtual private servers. So uh, these are the cloud computing servers that actually run everything pretty much. So um, they'll host the website, they'll uh, validate the work units, they will um, manage all the Boink databases and everything for the Boink server. Uh, and most projects do have their own server machines. Like uh, we remember the good old days of having that laptop in the closet running Boink. Um, and uh, yeah, a, a lot of the project computers that are on, a lot of projects online at the moment um, actually use their own computer, uh, computing power and their own computers to run the Boink uh, project. The VPSs are sometimes used by some projects, um, uh, also some of the bigger ones, I think. Because handling the amount of users that World Community Grid handles is, I don't think it would be possible with just a single computer on some home network, which, yeah, you definitely wouldn't be able to do. Um, so VPSs are one thing that will come in handy for Boink projects, especially the big ones that handle a lot of data <laughs> and traffic. Yeah, um, so yeah, we got some people saying, uh, isn't the problem with Amazon and other cloud providers that you pay for everything like storage and then extra stuff for traffic, which is more expensive sometimes? Bitterly says, true. Storage is usually more cheaper than data transfer. That is also true. Um, yeah, and one thing with the VPSs is that they have one charge for actually running it and then another charge for um, the bandwidth that comes out of it. So that's where it gets a bit expensive. And so that's why a lot of project admins just do it themselves, just uh, basically run the things on their home network. And there you go. So um, VPSs uh, and uh, VPSs tend to be a lot more reliable than uh, computers on your home network mainly because you can get power outages, you can get the internet switching off, you can get all sorts of things happening. So even though VPSs do not solve all the issues with Boink projects going down, or Boink projects shutting down, um, they do solve a lot of them. So VPSs tend to have a lot less downtime than uh, Boink servers that are run on a home network. So that's one benefit of paying for a VPS to run this stuff. Um, and also introducing a little case study from MLC at home. Um, a VPS for them would cost a lot of money because the way that uh, MLC at home validates their work units is that they actually have to run the training algorithm. They have to run all the tests on the neural networks that get trained in order to see whether they're achieving an adequate amount of, um, oh, what's the term for it? I forget the term for it. Uh, basically, they just have to be judged to see. The, those neural networks have to be judged to see whether they're actually performing.
And that process is very computationally expensive. Um, so that's why there's a big computer running MLC at home. And we're talking like a really beefy computer. <laughs> yeah, so um, Phoenix, well, basically all, the, um, all, all that has to happen is when the neural network gets trained by the, by the people who are crunching the work units, when it comes back to the Boink server, the Boink server will have to check whether that neural network was actually trained. And the one best way to do that is to run it through a couple tests to see whether it achieves the appropriate scores on a particular test. And because neural networks always give different results, uh, depending on how they're trained, um, basically you kind of need to see whether it's kind of close to an average sort of thing. So, And essentially that entire process is very, very computationally expensive. So that's why using a VPS with MLC at home might not work because in order to get the amount of computing power to actually run that with the amount of users that MLC at home has, they're going to be paying upwards of like $100 or $200 per month for VPSs, and that's just not not worth it if they can buy like a $1,000 computer or a $2,000 computer with like, I don't know, 16 or 32 cores or something like that and just have it sitting there. So it's a lot more worthwhile investment. So I guess what, uh, what uh, basically, <coughs> excuse me. So I guess what we've uh, discovered through this little discussion, um, and more importantly, what I wanted to discover through this discussion is, is it worthwhile integrating all these web services into Boink or not, and why? And so we figured out that literally, it's not worth it for most of it. We figured out that AWS or the storage services that they use, uh, that web services offer, might be useful for very small projects because the price is negligible for storing like a hundred like gigs of data or something like that. But other than that, it starts to get very, very expensive if we're storing big data, like terabytes of data. So unless the projects get funding, regular funding, or... Um, are willing to fork out $100 a month to store five terabytes of data, then, yeah. Anyone else have any more ideas uh, on Boink projects using web services? Or any questions? Anyone want to come back to see how I'm dealing with Mountain Dew Major Melon? Anyone want to try and get me to tell them what the next beverage is next week? <laughs> I'm not spoiling it for you. But I'll tell you now that I got a really good one. So if J Ringo is on next week, make sure you're on next week because we're gonna have a very <laughs> I'm gonna have a I have a very interesting drink to show everyone. And I might have my camera on for it. Anyway, I think we'll end it there. Alright, thanks everyone for attending and thank you for dealing with my coughing fits every now and then in the in the call. Uh, as I said, I've been dealing with COVID, and I'm on the latter part of the infection, so I'm recovering pretty well. Um, yeah, thanks all for listening in to the Boink Radio. Hope you had a good time, and we will see you next week, and hopefully Jeringa will be here. And make sure you're there, because I'm going to have a really interesting beverage. Bye, everyone.